It's a special service this morning. We've got Ella Watts' baptism. Really looking forward to that. It's great to have family and friends joining us. If you are a visitor here this morning, great to have you with us. You're very welcome. And uh, we do have cakes and drinks afterwards in the hall just through there. So if you'd like to join us for that, everyone is very, very welcome to do that. Well, in some ways, uh, today, Ella is understandably going to be the sort of centre of attention. Uh, But really, God is. And I think Ella would say that as well. It's about what Ella has done, uh, God has done in Ella's life. And so in a moment, we're going to praise God uh, for that and sing. But just briefly before that, uh, some of you may have seen many, many baptisms. Some of you here may have never seen a baptism at all and be thinking this is all a bit strange. Well, after our first song, I will explain a little bit more about the service, just to give you a bit of an idea of what to expect. But before that... We're going to sing, and we're going to sing about the God who is beyond all praising. So, O God beyond all praising, we worship you today. So when the music starts, we'll all stand and sing together. Let me just give you a brief explanation of what's going to happen in this service, God willing. Uh, So we're going to have some Bible readings, uh, some singing and some prayer as we do in all our Sunday services. After the second song, uh, Ella has very kindly agreed to come up and share her testimony of what God's done in her life and why she's following Jesus. So thank you very much for being willing to do that. And then a bit later on, our pastor John here will be uh, sharing a message uh, with us. And and the talk title is True Freedom. True Freedom. So we're looking forward to hearing more about that from our pastor John. And then at the end, we'll have the actual baptism 
So Ella and I will go down into the water and, uh, and I'll baptise her. You'll see that at the end. can seem a bit of a strange thing to do, going into a pool of water and your normal clothes in front of everyone. There's nothing special about the water. It's not some sort of spiritual water that we've got. We haven't done anything to it. It's just plain old uh, tap water. But it's something that Jesus tells us to do when we follow him. He says, if you follow me, be baptised. And it's a way of publicly showing that we're following and identifying with Jesus in our lives. It's picture language, really. And it's showing uh, that we've been washed from our sins. And uh, you remember the Easter story where Jesus, he dies, and three days later, he rises again. And it's picture language of that, really, where it's like going, as you go under the water, it's like dying with Jesus. And then as you come back out the water, it's like receiving new life, new life from God. So it's an outward picture, an outward demonstration of something that's been going on in Ella's life. If you have any questions about any of that, please do feel free to come and chat to us, come and ask us about it, or you might prefer to ask a friend, that's absolutely fine. We do also have a three-week course coming up. In fact, it's starting this week. Uh, It's once every Tuesday evening for the next three weeks. There you go. If you want to find out a bit more about what Christians believe, what the Bible says, uh, in a friendly, relaxed atmosphere, then do come along to that. You'd be very, very welcome. Come and chat to one of us after, and we'd happily uh, sign you up for that. Well, we're going to read now uh, a couple of readings that John's asked me to read. First one is in the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and it's John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. It'll be up on the screen, uh, but if you've got a church Bible, it's page 894, 894. It's John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And then our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, and it's chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. And again, if you're in the Church Bibles, that's page 859, 859. But it is right in the bottom corner. So it's literally that verse. We're halfway through that verse. You need to turn over. So Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Isn't this not, is not this Joseph's son? We're looking forward to hearing John explain those to us a bit later. Well, as I said after this, Ella's going to come up and share her testimony, but we're going to sing now, Man of Sorrows. Now, I don't want to give too much away about Ella's uh, testimony, but two key things come up are uh, the impact in her life of the, the love of Jesus and the freedom he gives us. And there's both of those things in this song. So let's stand and sing.
Well, I'd like to invite Ella up to share her testimony. I know a good number of you are really looking forward to, well, hopefully all of you are really looking forward to hearing what she's got to say. Um, so if you're happy to come up, um, take your time, as in speaking, not walking up. And, uh, I'll hand over to you. Um, so I grew up in a Christian family with parents that had always taught me about God. Um, growing up, I went to church and I knew most of the answers in Sunday school and I enjoyed going to church because it meant that I was with my friends. But um, I really went with the purpose to worship God and Christianity was always more like just a part of my lifestyle. Um, one of the first times I thought seriously about my relationship with God was at an action-travelling supper during a talk by Pete Dinage. He was talking about someone going around a room and asking each individual if they were a Christian and if they would go to heaven. And I sat there feeling uneasy because I was unsure that I could truthfully answer yes to these questions. In 2017, I went on my first year of camp here at Forest Fold. I heard the talks and really enjoyed being with other Christians. And my attention was grabbed when talking in discussion groups. However, only a short while after the week was finished, the impact had left me and I remained distant from God. Despite knowing that I was a sinner and having an interest in Jesus... The times I thought about my future after death made me feel uncertain, and even though I'd confessed my sins to God before, it never took me long to wonder if it really worked or if it had made me a Christian. My second year of camp was in 2018, and there was one talk that struck me in particular. During the talk, Mark read an article about the cross that Jesus died on and how excruciatingly painful it was designed to be. As Mark described Jesus being forced to push up onto his nailed hands and feet so that he was able to breathe, I remember feeling overwhelmed by the great sacrifice that Jesus made for me. I knew that it was important that I repented for my sins, which I did during that week, because I felt guilty knowing that my sinful life was the reason that Jesus had to suffer like that. After the week was over, I remembered the things I had learned, but once again, I quickly slipped back into my old lifestyle, which was feeling unsure that I was right with God after all. This changed after my third year of camp in 2019. The talk series was titled Man with a Mission, and I'd heard even more about the purpose that Jesus had to save me when he came to earth. So I asked one of the leaders for some Bible verses that would help to encourage me, even after the week was over. One of these was Galatians 5 verse 1, which says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I still find it extremely encouraging today, because it reminds me that, I am, that Jesus has set me free, from my sins, and through his sacrifice, I am promised eternal freedom and life with God. After that year, I felt really happy knowing my soul is secure because I'm in Jesus, as it says in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not long after this, COVID hit and quarantine begun. We couldn't go to church or spend time with Christian friends, and this taught me to really struggle. Uh, this caused me to really struggle. Um, I felt low and deprived of spiritual nourishment as I was scarcely praying and didn't have much motivation to do Bible readings. Feeling bad about this, I began feeling doubtful that I was a Christian after all. But although quarantine was hard, having these doubts and like getting through them actually taught me to trust in God more and to stand on the promises of the Bible. I often remember back to my first year of camp, something that one of my discussion group leaders said and acted out. She picked up what she had in front of her and took it across the room and said, imagine this is my sin and that I'm confessing it at the cross. What am I doing wrong? She then picked her things up and sat back down, bringing them back with her. I didn't leave my sin there with Jesus, she said. She then did it again and left her sin at the cross to symbolize what we also needed to do. These years later, I'm realizing that's what I was doing wrong. I needed to leave my sin with God and just trust that he will do with it what he promises to. 
This also helped me to learn that feeling like a Christian isn't something I should base my faith on rather than having assurance in God that he has dealt with my sin fully and secured my future for me. One Sunday, it was Izzy's baptism, and John Cowley did a sermon titled Saved. He talks about how we can overcomplicate being a Christian sometimes, and he went over how believing simply means to repent and have faith in God. He also talks about obedience with being baptised and said that baptism is about siding with Jesus. Hearing this made me realise that I have no reason to doubt God and gave me peace knowing that I'm safe on Jesus' side. Thank you, Ella. It's, uh, it's not easy coming up the front here speaking, so I really appreciate you doing that. I'm sure if anyone wants to ask Ella questions or talk to her more about her story, she'd be very happy to do that with you afterwards as well. Well, we're going to come before God now and pray. So let's, let's pray to God. Lord God, we want to bring you our praise now. Lord, we thank you so much that we can pray to you. Lord, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can come boldly before your throne. Lord, I pray that you give us a sense of awesomeness at the fact that we can speak to you and that you hear. Lord, a sense of the privilege that we have right now. Lord, you are the God beyond all praising, as we sang in the first song. And yet, Lord, we still want to praise you in any way we can Lord, we know that you are over all things. We know that you know all things. We know that you're the king of kings. You're sovereign over all. Nothing is outside of your control. Lord, we know that you are good. We know that you are love. Lord, not just that you are loving, but that you are love. And to those who follow you, Lord, you promise to pour out your continual, unfailing love. And we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you that you offer us fullness of joy. You offer us life, life to the full. And Lord, we praise you that you choose to pour out your blessings on us because we are so undeserving. Lord, you bless us with so much. Lord, we know sometimes life can be so tough and yet even in those times, Lord, you give us so much. We have so much to be grateful for. And it is so completely undeserved. Lord, the Bible explains that we've pushed you away. The Bible says each one of us has turned our own way. We're like sheep that have got lost from the shepherd. But you didn't leave us. Lord, you pursued us. You chased us, even though you could have rightly left us. And you brought us back to you. And Lord, I thank you so much for revealing yourself to Ella for calling her, for showing her your love, for working in her heart, for giving her life. Lord, I thank you that she has eternal life from you. Lord, I thank you for her repentance. Lord, how she has turned from going her own way to following you. And Lord, where she now wants to live a life with you at the centre. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that you'd show yourself to them. Lord, I pray that they too would know the wonder of following Jesus and how much they need you. Lord, we do pray for Ella as she starts her life of publicly following you. Lord, we pray that you give her strength and help. Help her to be an encouragement to others. Lord, I pray that we as a church would be a real blessing and encouragement to her too. 
Lord, we know that often the start of Christian life is not easy. Lord, we pray that you would help her, that she would continue to trust in you and you alone and in your grace and in your grace alone. Lord, that she would never move on from you, Jesus, and the cross. Lord, may she always remain at the cross. So Lord, we do thank you for this special day and we pray that it would be a blessing to Ella and to all of us here. And Lord, I do also uh, want to bring the young family uh, before you. Lord, as they have the, uh, the anniversary of Toby's death coming up this week. Lord, we just pray that you'd bless them. Lord, that you'd comfort them at this time. Lord, give them strength. Lord, bless them. May we be a blessing to them as well, I pray. And Lord, I pray for John, our pastor, as he speaks in just a few moments. Lord, I thank you for the prep and the prayer that he's put into this message. And I pray that you'd help him to speak clearly. And I pray that you'd help us to listen and to understand what you're saying to us. So Lord, do be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before John does come and speak to us, we're going to sing one more song. And this is a song that Ella's chosen for us. Yes, finished, the Messiah dies. So when the music starts, let us stand and sing.
Well, it's good to see you here this morning, good to see so many of you. I do pass on an extra welcome to you at this service. And uh, our theme this morning for this message is about being free, about true freedom is the title. I don't know if you noticed that there was a lot in Ella's testimony about freedom. And uh, this title, maybe it surprises you, true freedom. Church, being a Christian, maybe to you that, that's the opposite of freedom. And many would see it like that and maybe you think, well, Christianity is limiting and it's restrictive and it's narrow and it's, it's not for me, I just want to be free from it. And there can be a lot of religion which is a bit like a a prison is enslaving, is very restrictive. Jesus is speaking in one of the passages we read to people about being free, and they weren't free at the minute, and yet they were very religious. There are types of Christianity as well uh, where it, it seems to be a lot of restrictiveness and there's a lot of binding, there's a lot of oppressiveness. But Jesus himself says here in the main verse we're looking at, in John 8 and verse 36, Jesus says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son is Jesus, the Son of God. And it says he sets people free. If the Son sets you free, and when people are made free by Jesus, they're definitely free, they're extra free, they're truly free, they are free indeed, he says. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He said something similar in verse 32 in this passage in John 8. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The things that Jesus says, the things that he represents, the things that he embodies, they set free. So maybe if our view of Jesus is all about restriction and joyless slavery, maybe we've got the wrong end of the stick. Because this is what Jesus says, if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. There were some great words used by Jesus at the start of his public ministry. They were used in his hometown. We read of them in Luke verse 4. And notice how they're words of liberation. I'll just read verse 18 of the passage we read where Jesus quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So let's think a bit about this. In what ways does Jesus make people free? In what way does true freedom come through him? 
Well, we're going to look at uh, four different things. It could be more, but uh, partly from the passage we read in this Gospel of John, but also pulling in other parts of the Bible, God's Word. I want to look at four things this morning where freedom comes through Jesus. And this is the first. Free from condemnation. Jesus sets free from condemnation. Now, we hate uh, being uh, condemned, don't we, or criticised. We hate being told we've done wrong. Don't you find that? I find that. I hate being told I've done wrong. I hate criticism. I hate condemnation. And it's even worse when you realise you actually have done wrong and you feel that sense of failure and you feel the sense of shame and guilt and you realise you've let others down. It's not a nice thought before others to feel criticised or condemned or ashamed. And it's even more serious before God. The Bible says we've all done more than enough wrong to be condemned by God. And it's a very big problem. Jesus came into the world to deal with condemnation. He took condemnation on himself on the cross. When we turn to him, when we ask to be forgiven, then we are forgiven by Jesus. Our condemnation is taken away. It was mentioned in the testimony about leaving things at the cross. And it set me thinking, I've been packing cases these last uh, couple of days. We're going on holiday on aeroplane in the morning, so I've been packing cases and thinking that uh, it's as if you, I put all my... You get a lot in a case, don't you realise that? I'm trying to squeeze a lot in these cases, make most of our couple of weeks away. And it's as if we put all of our sins, or I put all of my sins in a colossal case, a huge case, and I take it and I put it at the cross. And all of my sins go there on Jesus. When I hand over my case tomorrow morning, Gatwick for EasyJet, I want it back. But I don't want this case back. All the things that I've done wrong, my sin, my shame, everything in my life is a big case. And Jesus takes it away. The condemnation goes at the cross. And there's no weight limit. We're trying to make sure we keep to 23 kilograms for tomorrow morning, but there's no weight limit to what can go to the cross and can be left there, taking away the condemnation of those who put their trust in him. Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Ella said this in her testimony. After quoting a verse, she says, I still find this extremely encouraging today because it reminds me that Jesus has set me free from my sins through his sacrifice. I am promised eternal freedom and life with God. After that year, I felt really happy knowing that my soul is secure because I am in Jesus. As it says in Romans 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Free from condemnation. Would you like that freedom? 
to be in the point of no condemnation. It's liberating to know that your sins and your shame and your guilt of all the things that you've sadly done wrong before others and before God is taken away and you're free from its condemnation. And that's why Jesus came into the world. And that's the freedom that he gives to those who turn and trust in him. If you confess your sins to Jesus, if you trust in the cross, no condemnation. That's the first thing about freedom. Free from condemnation. The second one, might take a little bit more thinking about, free from addiction to selfishness. Free from selfish addiction. So you know about um, addictions, you know about drugs, you know about alcohol, you know about gambling, uh, you know the damage they cause, uh, you know how difficult it is to shake them off. Well, the Bible makes clear that addiction is a more general problem than just these particular things. And it's something that we all naturally struggle with. We are, says the Bible, slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. That's what Jesus said to these religious leaders. John 8, verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Well, what does that mean? It means we can't help thinking and doing wrong things. We're, we're self-focused. It's all about us. Life is all about me. It's about what I want. We're addicted to selfishness. Now, in the early 1500s, there was a man called Nicholas Copernicus. You may have heard of him. You may know what he's famous for. He's the one who worked out that uh, the solar system, rather than revolving around the earth, was revolving around the sun. And that we weren't at the centre of it here on the earth, that the sun was at the centre of the solar system. And it caused quite a stir. It's called the Copernican Revolution. And something similar happens in our lives. We grow up largely thinking, it's all about us. It's about me. We grow into adulthood thinking it's all about me. Every situation is uh, about me. I'm the only pebble on the beach, as we put it sometimes. Sometimes it can have a facade of kindness, but deep down we are very self-orientated. Don't you find that? I'm concerned about how I'm seen. I'm concerned whether it suits me. And it's like an addiction in a way. We're slaves to it then when we come to know Jesus, that begins to change. We realise that life doesn't revolve around us, it revolves around God. We're not at the centre, God is at the centre, and he should be at the centre of our lives. And when we start to realise this, it's actually quite liberating. It's really the process of repentance Ella said in her testament at one point, I remember feeling overwhelmed by the great sacrifice Jesus made for me. 
I knew it was important that I repented for my sins, which I did during that week, because I felt guilty knowing that my sinful life was the reason that Jesus had to suffer like that. And true freedom is not found in slavishly doing what we want, satisfying, if you like, our addiction to self. True freedom is found with God being at the centre, realising what things should be. I don't know if it helps you, but I was thinking of it this week like a, you know, the, the, the spokes on a bike. Now you imagine the, uh, the wheels, uh, the, the spokes on a wheel, you imagine um, the, the spokes going all over the place in all different directions. Going one way, then the other, and all pointed out. You think, well, what a mess, what a mess. If that's the case, the, the wheel might buckle, it's not got the proper support. Uh, people might get scratched, you've got these things sticking out, this whole thing is ugly, it's just not working. All going in their own direction. But when they're all neatly in the centre of the hub and straight, lines up round the edge, the wheel is well supported, the whole wheel moves freely as it should do, functions well, is useful to the rider. Our lives when they're centred on God, prove useful. There's a a functioning, there's a a freedom to the way in which our lives affect the lives of other people. In Galatians, Paul put it like this, a writer in the Bible, for you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So, to these who were slaves of sin and selfishness, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Have you experienced that that freedom? Feel free to live life with God at the centre, free to serve, no longer enslaved to manipulating circumstances around what we want. This change doesn't happen fully. We we wrestle with it. I battle with selfishness every day. But Jesus does make a difference and he sets us free from being addicted to ourselves and our selfishness and for our lives to turn their proper centre on God. Set free from addiction to selfishness. A third area that comes up is being set free from trying to be good enough. Set free from trying to be good enough. So many of us, don't we, we spend a lot of our lives trying to be good enough, aiming to be good enough, to get good enough results in our exams, to to make the team in sport, to win the trophy, to be accepted by our friends, to wear the right label so that we are acceptable. We like to be seen well by, by others. We like to get the promotion. We, we, we want to be good enough. And that same way of thinking sometimes is applied to our attitude to God. Most uh, religions... And some versions of Christianity make out that you need to, to try to be good enough for God. Have you thought along those ways? If 
the message is if you're just a bit better, if you pray a bit more, if you read a bit more, if you clean your act up, uh, you'll be acceptable. It's as if we're in a pit and uh, they, they shout down, climb, uh, put, put your right hand on, on that rock, put your left there, uh, pull a bit there, pull a bit harder, be a bit stronger, try and get yourself up and try and get yourself out is their message. But we can never climb up to be good enough for God. We haven't got it in us. His standards are too high for us. If we're honest about it, we realise that. And for the sensitive person, it can feel a bit sort of soul-destroying. We try to be better. We aren't. We resolve. We fail. Now Jesus, instead of calling down the instructions, it's as if Jesus jumps in the pit and gets alongside us and puts a harness on us and makes sure that we're lifted up, passing all the other climbers up out of the pit. Jesus does the work for us that we can't do ourselves. And it's a massive relief that we can stop trying to be good enough for God. I quoted from a a place called Galatians 5 before. Here is what it says. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is said to those who were tempted and who used to be bound up to trying to keep certain rules as a way to get good enough for God. And they managed to keep some rules, but not other rules. And it was hopeless in terms of making it to be acceptable to God. And instead, the message is, through Christ you are free. He makes you right. You don't have to go on this sort of hamster wheel of trying to be right with God by your efforts. Through Christ, you are set free. Ella said this in her testimony about uh, talking to some of the leaders on a camp and asking for a, a Bible verse that would encourage her. And one of them was Galatians 5.1, which said, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I still find this extremely encouraging today because it reminds me that Jesus has set me free. So when we know Jesus, we can know that we're welcome and accepted The language used in the passage in John 8 is of slaves versus sons. A slave wanting to work hard enough, feeling that life is on a knife edge. If they do wrong, if they miss a trick, if they misbehave, they're out. And the son, who is in the family, who's always loved and will ever be there. And when we trust in Christ, we're sons, welcome. We're set free from trying to be good enough. It's a great place to be, you know. I wonder if you've experienced that. 
You've been trying hard to be good enough for others, being good enough for God. And then you've got to a point, have you, where you're set free from that. One hymn puts it, or revised hymn puts it, just as I am, without one plea, but that you died to set me free, and at your bidding come to me, O Lamb of God, I come. Set free from trying to be good enough. That's a great place to be, isn't it? Got one more. Free from the fear of death. That's another thing that comes up in the Bible. Free from the fear of death. Now, I have to be careful here. There, there is a concern about death, isn't there? That we, we all feel to different degrees. Death is not normally nice. There's uncertainties about it, when it will happen, how it will happen. There's things that will be lost and things that will be missed. But for many, there is a reason to fear death, and that is they don't know what's next. And they don't have an answer for it. And they don't know if they're right with God. There's a reason behind the fear. Maybe that's true for you. And that fear can sometimes be um, a bondage. It enslaves us. Uh, we can't get away from it. We might not talk about it to others. You don't talk about it to others, but you feel it underneath. In fact, it, it can hamper the whole of life that we just don't know how to face death. Don't you, don't you think that's true? Jesus takes away that imprisoning fear of death. He's paid, the, he's paid the price. Death can no longer master us. He rose again from death and believers too will be raised again at the end of their life. Death for the Christian is about going home, not going to a big question mark of uncertainty or fear. In one part of the Bible, it summarises it like this. Talking of Jesus, that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery slavery. Ella mentioned the question at one of the uh, evenings she went to, one of the talks, uh, that was asked, uh, uh, imagined, if somebody was asking round the room, and it was uh, going around the room asking each individual if they were a Christian and if they would go to heaven. Made her think a lot. Yeah, it might make us think. If somebody was to go around and ask us individually, you know, are we a Christian and are we going to heaven? And that stage, she didn't feel she could answer it satisfactorily. I don't know whether you could answer that satisfactorily. Or oh, there's a deep fear of death when you actually face up to it. But Jesus delivers from that fear of death. Uh, this week, I passed on to somebody this 
little book. It's a very interesting, helpful book. I've left a few copies out there in case anyone wants to take one. It's by a man called Mark Ashton, and he wrote it after he'd been diagnosed with gallbladder cancer. And he, he wrote about his experience and his feelings. Let me read this bit. He says the tells us about when the news was broken to him. The oncologist estimated I might have six to nine months to live. I said to the surgeon when he broke the news that what he had just told me was for a Christian believer not bad news but good. It was not the end of the story but the beginning. He carries on, and I saw an imaginary speech bubble appear above his head saying, this man is in total denial. (laughs) He goes on later on, actually, and says um, how because he was facing the end of his life, it, it made it possible to talk to people about death and the fear of death. You might be interested in this little bit that he says. Hope in the face of death. Opportunities to tell others about Jesus now also became clearer and more urgent. Our age is so devoid of hope in the face of death that the topic has become unmentionable. But once you have had the news that I have had, it rears its head whether you want it to or not. He says, honestly, I have learnt to go about it gently after a trip to a hairdresser in Eastbourne. The girl cutting my hair asked me how I was and I replied that I had been told that I had just got a few months to live. I could not get another word out of her for the rest of the haircut. He carries on, but people's dread of death does not mean that they do not need to think about it and that they are not aware that it is where every life ends. To share the hope of eternal life is a wonderful privilege particularly when it is apparent to the non-believer that eternal life is a reality to you, the believer. I have not done well at sharing this hope, but I am so grateful for opportunities to do a little more boldly as my own death approaches. Now, I'm not aiming to say at all that these things are glib or easy, If I had a cancer diagnosis, it would jolt me greatly as it would you. But with Jesus, as a rescuer and as a Lord, there is a security and a safety which frees you from the tyrannical uncertainty of the fear of death. The reason for fear is gone. Maybe you know the hymn. Probably I, I didn't see the start of the cup final yesterday, but maybe you did. They always sing Abide With Me at the FA Cup final. This is one of the verses. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus sets free from the fear of death. If you've been set free from that fear, Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I was thinking this morning, I'm feeling very thankful. I looked through all through four of those things that are up on the on the board there, up on the screen. And I was thankful that Jesus has set me free from all four of those things. I don't deserve it, 
but he set me free from all four. And a, a morning like this morning reminds us that somebody else has been set free, Ella's been set free in these four ways. And it's wonderful. And as she comes up out of the water in a moment, it pictures this really. She's free from condemnation. It's as though her sins have been washed away. That's the picture. She's free from selfish addiction. That's left behind. She now has a new life with God at the centre ahead. She's free from, from the frustration of trying to be good enough. That's left behind as she trusts in the Jesus who died on the cross. She's free from the fear of death. That's left behind because she has eternal life through the risen Saviour who rose again. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, we're going to sing another hymn now. And many of these things become clear in this last hymn. It's the hymn, In Christ Alone. And uh, at the end of the hymn, uh, Mark's going to lead us through the baptism. So when the song finishes, if you could all remain standing, that would be the best thing. You should get a good view because hopefully the camera will show what's happening on there if you can't see it uh, directly. Uh, We do also like the children to get a good view of a baptism. So under the sort of watchful eye of the parents and their permission, the children want to, at the end of the hymn, find their way to uh, somewhere where they can get a a good view in one of the gangways. Uh, Then they're very welcome to do that. We like them to see what's happening. So our last song. Well, no, we've got another one at the end of the baptism. Our fourth song, In Christ Alone. My hope is found, he is my light, my strength, my song.
Baptism. 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 So I'm going to share a verse with Ella, and then we're going to both go down into the water. And then I'll baptise her. I'll ask you a couple of questions just briefly before, just to confirm that she's following Jesus. Uh, then as she comes out of the water, we'll all sing uh, the first verse and the chorus of To God Be the Glory. So this is the verse for you. I will give it to you after, because I know it's hard to take in sometimes now. I, love you. I know you love uh, mountains and hills and the great outdoors. And... Uh, a key part of your testimony was being struck by God's love for you. And the really good news is that's never going to stop. And this is what God writes. So he writes this to his people in the Old Testament. But it's true for believers now. He says this, For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you. So even if the mountains disappear, even if the hills go, nothing can stop God's love for you. His steadfast love will not depart from you. And his covenant of peace will not be removed from you. So I hope that's a special verse to remember as you go through the rest of your Christian life. But I'm going to take off my... So just two questions. Have you been made sorry for your sin and confessed it to God? Have you turned from it as a way of life? And have you begun with God's help to aim to live a life that pleases him? Yes, I have. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Saviour? Do you believe that through his death and resurrection there is forgiveness and everlasting life? Yes, I do. Well, upon your repentance towards God and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we just sung of rejoicing and we do rejoice and we have rejoiced at your kindness and goodness to Ella. We've sung of giving you the glory and we want to give you the glory uh, at this service for what you have done. And we sang as well of others being drawn in and coming and we pray for that to be the effect of this morning too. Praying in the name of Jesus. Amen.